This is Amy with a Y. And Amy with an I. From the Secular Soup Podcast, and we never listen to I Doubt It with Dolomore. Seriously, if we wanted to listen to white guys blather on about politics, we'd just turn on C-SPAN. Right? Dudes are the fucking worst. Ugh. Ugh. Brittany's, Brittany's the, the best, best part. part. Eat your soup, bitches. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dolomore. Episode 494 of I Doubt It with Dolomore. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Jesse Dolomore, and today I'm joined by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, the not married to her first cousin, Brittany Page. Wow. <laughs> Is that, you think that's a, uh, an adequate method for introducing the very first thing we talk about um, each time? I mean, last no, time, last no, time it was actually. the, the non-bike riding <laughs> Britney Page. Yeah, I'm I'm scared for that because I don't know what's to come and how much worse <laughs> it's going to get. Right. Also, right. I only know I only know two of my cousins, um, and I think we haven't talked about this a lot, but I don't know like any of my family members. Yeah. I, I never met I never met any of my grandparents. Because the entire network of your family is like estranged from not just your immediate family, but like every, they're all estranged from one another. Yeah, no one talks to anybody. Yeah, yeah. And Hashtag raised by wolves. So I never met my grandparents and I met my, one of my cousins for the first time when I moved to California and um, I, met, I have never met my other cousin that I know. Hmm. So the one that I've met is my first cousin and let me tell you... Would not marry him. Okay. <laughs> For reasons other than first cousinry. Well, primarily the cousin, but also a lot of other things. Yes. Yes. Right. So let's talk about this case. Mm hmm. This couple from Utah. Yes, they're from Utah. They had to travel, though, in order to get married because, you know, you can only marry your first cousin in certain states. Oh, I, I want to list those states. I'm glad you, you, you said that. Um, You'll be surprised. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> shocking that many, many of the states where you can marry your first cousin mm -hmm. are in the South. Mm -hmm. But you might be surprised by some. California's one, by the way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Alabama, Alaska, California, Colorado, Connecticut, uh, District of Columbia, which also makes you take a blood test before you get married. Mm. Which doesn't make any sense at all. I guess they're not testing DNA. Um, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii. Uh, I'm going down the list here. Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina. Yes, except in the rare case of double first cousins. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe if you're the child of two cousins. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not even going to venture a guess. Someone yeah, can don't. call in. I don't know. Um, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vermont, Virginia. Those are the yeses. 
Now let me give that's the, quite a few, though. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. Now let me give the flat nose. The states, no way yeah. can you y- marry your first cousin. Okay, I'm going back from uh, the alphabetically in reverse now. Mm-hmm. Wyoming, West Virginia, holy shit, that's a shocker. <laughs> Washington, uh-huh. Texas, South Dakota, Pennsylvania, Oregon, Oklahoma, Ohio, North Dakota. New Hampshire, Nevada, Nebraska, Montana, Missouri, Mississippi, Michigan, Louisiana, Kentucky, Kansas, Iowa, Idaho. Good for you, Idaho. <laughs> Delaware, Arkansas, and those are the no's. Mm. And then there are several states where only if the two parties are like 50 or older or 65 or older or one one is infertile. Because, you know, they don't want... That's the primary concern. That's right. You don't want kids, you know, being born with buck teeth and three eyes, arm growing out of the middle of their forehead, you know. And so these these two cousins that we're talking about, they claim that they have been in love since uh, second grade. I yeah, be- I believe come on. Um, that they were caught. Ki- in, you're in love in second grade. They were caught kissing in a closet and dancing together at a very young age, and they had to be separated. And apparently, uh, it's a male female couple. And the male cousin said that um, he was going to marry her at a very young age. Like was telling his parents that. Yeah, like kids do. I want to marry you, mommy. I'm like, well, you don't get how it works. That's. That's not a thing, kid. Well, apparently... Quit being the, stupid, kid. Apparently, <laughs> the kissing cousins was a problem for the family because they say they got separated after that. Yeah, right. And they weren't allowed to really be around each other anymore. But they both went on to marry other people. And the woman cousin had three children with her ex-husband. But now both people are divorced... And they hadn't seen each other in like 10 years. And then they had a holiday gathering and they immediately reconnected. Man, that and is... the love came back and they there were a lot of mixed responses from the family members, apparently. Come on, man. And uh, some concerns about it being quote unquote weird. So they start fucking and then they move to Colorado to get married. And then they try to come back to Utah, which is one of those states that... Only if both parties are 65 or older or both are 55 or older with a district court finding of infertility of either party. Mm-hmm. So there's all these reasons why, well, only in this case. So they're trying to get Utah to change it. Right. They are petitioning, trying to get petition um, signatures on their petition to change the law in Utah so that they can get married in their home state of Utah. How does that let's do let's do the Jesse thought experiment where you get right on the ground with it. Mm-hmm. In what circumstance do you find your as an adult? Because you know, kids fuck around with each other and you kissing cousins and mm-hmm. you know you're mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. But when you're an adult and you're at a, at Christmas or Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. under what circumstances mm-hmm. are are you interacting with your first cousin, and it gets romantic. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently it's happening. Yeah, no, I, no, I know it's happening. Oh, okay. Well, what's the thought experiment then? <laughs> Is I want people to think about that because it's easy just to think about it off in the distance, like oh yeah, the two they they found each other attractive and blah blah blah. But how does it how does it really work if you're sitting on the couch next to one another, and it when's it become sexual? Mm-hmm. In second grade. 
Yeah, that, that's not a good enough answer for me. Okay. Well, maybe it makes it more exciting for some people. Yeah, because even if you're like, you remember back in second grade when you guys played doctor or whatever, mm-hmm. those feelings don't translate to adult time, do they? I mean, it, must, it can't be that common. Otherwise, we'd be talking about this all the time because it would be, I would not allow it. Well, <laughs> I would not allow this these types of stories to not get talked about. Well, they're, they're making headlines because they're trying to change the law in Utah. But I think, I mean, I don't know. How often are cousins getting married? I don't know. Her name is Angie Peng, P-E-A-N-G, and her, her cousin is Michael. Michael Lee. So I found an article from 2015 from 538 um, titled How Many Americans Are Married to Their Cousins. And it I is, think we may have talked about this. It's estimated that 0.2% of marriages in the United States are between individuals who are second cousins or closer. That means about 250,000 people in America in those relationships. Now, of course, that is second cousin and closer. So... Still, I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I went to high school somebody who married a dude, and I don't know how closely related they were. They were related, but married a dude with the same last name. Mm-hmm. So she didn't have to. Her maiden name is is her married name. Yeah. Well, that's just fucking weird, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so you know how you did that that ancestry thing. Yeah, and, I, somebody reached out to me the other day. I didn't tell you about it. And how many DNA relatives do you have? Uh, over a thousand. Yeah, so you have a lot of DNA relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, do they all have your last no, name? No, no, they don't. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Does everyone who has that last name like is that their DNA relative? You know? Are you talking about this specific case of the high school person? Yeah, I know them to be family. They are family. They are family. Oh, they're, well, they're you, you you were just explaining I, it. Well, I didn't know exactly what level cousin they were. Okay, because yeah. I thought I was getting the message that they just oh, have the no. same last name. No, they're for sure cousins. And you're like, how can that be? They have the same last name. What are they doing? No, no. no. I'm like, there's a lot of people that <laughs> have was, the same last I name. I certainly sounded exactly like that <laughs> when I was talking. <laughs> but not, uh, it's not exactly the words. Yeah, well. So I- anyway, I just, I find this fascinating and... Um, Gyros. Well, relax, because we don't know what percentage of our Patreon supporters are married to their first cousins, so <laughs> and don't get too crazy here. Everybody knows we only say things that please <laughs> our Patreon supporters, Yeah, as evidenced by the precipitous drop after we badmouth Sam Harris. <laughs> you know what? what's funny about that is people do exit surveys. And um, we've gotten, you know, a few negative exit surveys, but we had one where it was very clear that this person was like trying to get us in trouble with Patreon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By like lying and like saying all this stuff about how we rarely upload episodes. Yeah. Are you kidding me? We rarely upload episodes. All Patreon has to do is go and look at how often we upload episodes, and it's probably more than anyone else on the platform. We won't say who that person is, but they may or may not believe that there is a racial difference in. IQ. We'll just say we'll just say that. Well, and for new listeners, you'll have to go back through the catalog to hear that gem. That's okay? right. Uh, listen, uh, let's 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 move on before I get us collectively in trouble. Um, we talked last episode about a bike race in Belgium where it was separated men and women, and they started the men's race ten minutes before mm-hmm. the women's race. Yeah, and the lead woman once their race started caught up. 
In spite of a 10-minute head start, she caught up to the group of men. And they stopped the race and paused it until they could separate again. Makes no sense. We got a call about it. Hey, guys. This is Chris. Yeah, it's kind of a comment about the, uh, the bicycle race that you guys are talking about. I think it's complete bullshit that they stopped the woman. Because in marathons and half marathons and 5Ks, they use timing chips. Now, the timing chips go in the bib, and people run across the start line. They start everybody together. And at the end of the race, when everybody crosses the same finish line, they're able to determine who was first, second, third in the men, women, and age, and separate them from marathon, half marathon, and 5K. I've never been to a race where the fastest 5K'er has to stop and wait for the half marathon people to get ahead. And also, I've never heard of a half marathoner running so fast that they catch up and at the stop so they don't catch up to the slowest full marathoner. It's always a big cluster when they run. It mixes in and out. You get so many people that are mixed together at the finish line. The results are able to be separated and they can tell who won, who lost, and time and all that stuff. So I'd have to imagine that if they have that technology for, you know, 5Ks and all that stuff, surely they can do the same stuff with the bike rides. Now, I've done a triathlon before, and the first thing they do is they give you this little strap that goes around your ankle that keeps up with your timing for your swimming, your biking, and your running. So, unless this race didn't do that, and for some reason they had to keep it separate, for some reason they're sitting there writing them down by hand at the finish line, and it's too complicated to realize that 332 is a woman compared to, you know, 338, which is a man, then there's no reason why they would stop her. So it's just complete bullshit. It sounds like it's the same thing as that Boston uh, Marathon where they stopped the woman, like you guys said. But either way, my vote is it's bullshit. And anyway, love the show. That's great because we were taking votes and Chris is the only one who voted. So, well, then uh, I guess the, the it's motion solved. carries. Yeah. The motion carries. It's solved. Uh, Chris from Tennessee is, let me say, a prodigious runner of races. Mm. Unbelievable amount of races that this guy runs. We're connected on Facebook and it seems like every 20 minutes he's in a different 5K. Mm-hmm. Pictures with his medals and his ribbons and yeah he's probably in one right now as we speak on a friday night listening that's why he's so dedicated to listening to the show he just listens to the podcast while he runs yeah (laughs) thank you chris we appreciate it very much if you too would like to sound off move the conversation forward vote on what you think (laughs) 657-464-7609 of course you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com Thank you all so much. I really do want to um, say once again after last week and the tremendous generosity that was demonstrated relative to supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, it it really it uh, it gets you right here as I pound the heart gesture toward my heart or where I think it is. Mm. It means a lot, and we. Uh, we're excited about the future here. Three episodes a week is a is a Herculean uh, endeavor. Mm-hmm. We are up to the challenge, and we are we are looking forward to it. 
Well, before we move on, th- there's another thing I want to talk about that was in the news this week, and th- that's this kid who testified before Congress, who testified before Congress. <laughs> wow. Uh. It's hard for me to talk, apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, about the fact that his mother denied him the right to get vaccinated. And he was telling Congress about it and advocating for, uh, I guess, more stringent requirements of vaccination. A month after he shared his story with Dr. Tara Narula, a teenage rebel testified on Capitol Hill today about the importance of getting vaccinations. Dr. Narula is here now with an update. Sitting alongside prominent health professionals at today's Senate hearing was an unlikely witness. My mother would turn to anti-vaccine groups online and on social media. Ohio high school senior Ethan Lindenberger testified about his fight with his own mother to get vaccinated. For my mother, her love, affection and care as a parent was used to push an agenda to create a false distress. We first met Lindenberger last month when he told us his mother refused to vaccinate him and his siblings because of fears about vaccine safety. He started getting vaccinated when he turned 18. For certain individuals and organizations that spread this misinformation, they instill fear into the public for their own gain selfishly and do so knowing that their information is incorrect. 17 states allow parents to opt out of vaccinations for non-medical reasons. Lack of vaccinations have been blamed for measles outbreaks in five states, one of the worst in Washington state. Washington State's Secretary of Health, Dr. John Wiesman. States and local health departments really are the leaders to engage their communities around vaccine information. And honestly, you know, that that system's uh, crumbling. To prop up the system and combat false information about vaccines, this week the American Academy of Pediatrics offered to help some online companies ensure that facts are prioritized over misinformation and to build trust in vaccinations and their protection. What I was trying to to really drive home was that we should be talking about what's true, and that's really the biggest idea. This hearing comes on the heels of the latest study finding no evidence the MMR vaccine increases the risk of autism. That's the vaccine that protects against measles, mumps and rubella. We counted at least 40 studies over the last 20 years finding the same thing. Jeff. Important story you've been on since the beginning. Doctor, thank you. And this is something that we talked about in the newsletter for February for 20 and up Patreon supporters, the newsletter. Uh, just a little promotion there. And uh, it was vaccinations and specifically the steps that YouTube and I forgot what other Facebook today I read. Yeah, I'm talking about the newsletter and I oh. can't remember what other social networking. I know YouTube is taking action, but yes, basically the the newsletter featured an article that was explaining the problem of these pages on Facebook in spreading misinformation and getting people like this young man who testified um, his mother and feeding her misinformation from Facebook pages that she follows yeah, yeah. and reads. And basically, what what is Facebook going to do about that? Well, Facebook finally decided to answer that question and they are going to change their policy and reduce the ranking of groups and pages that spread yeah. misinformation about vaccines in the newsfeed and the search. So when you search for those pages, the ranking will be a little bit lower. So they'll be more difficult to find mm-hmm. is what it sounds like. And then they're also going to uh, remove them from recommendations and 
predictions and reject ads with false information and eliminate targeting options like quote unquote vaccine controversies, which it's remarkable that that was even a targeting option to begin with, but right. we all have to have a learning curve. Right. And of course, Facebook has one. And they are no, yeah, they're not uh, special <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. It's good. Listen, even if there is there is that learning curve and we are in a, a bold, brave new world relative to, I know it seems like the internet's been around forever, but it hasn't. And nor have social media um, companies like this. Mm-hmm. Th- this is all new. And we're all kind of experiencing it and figuring it out. I don't know what's going on with the talking today. Uh, We're all working through it together. And they're trying to figure out how to get people more accurate information as well. Yeah. It isn't just about trying to get the misinformation out of the newsfeed. It's how can we actually give people the accurate information when they are searching for vaccine information. So I think it's really powerful that this guy testified. And I don't know if he's the same one that I heard interviewed, but he actually sat for an interview with his mom and he was very respectful. Mm-hmm. You know, um, his mom really feels that he made a mistake in getting vaccinated and she doesn't support it at all. He really feels that she is brainwashed and that it's unfortunate, sure. but they were able to have this very respectful exchange. And it was just nice to see because a lot of times this can rip families apart. Yeah. Well, listen, c- certainly she loves him. Mm-hmm. Certainly she does. Mm-hmm. She's just... She's just dumb. If you have the information available to you and you dismiss it for conspiracy, that's dumbness. I know you're giving the I don't agree with you phase, but I don't think it's because she doesn't love him. I just think it's because she's uh, she's maybe temporarily a dummy. Yeah. Views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollamore are solely those of Jesse Dollamore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. Here's here's why I'm doing what I'm doing with my face. It, it's that <laughs> it's that it's just really simple, right? And I know a lot of people that are like, "Oh, they're an idiot. This person's dumb. This person is." We all have biases that influence the way that we think and prevent us from understanding things in the way that we should understand them. And for other people, it is much stronger and much more difficult to counter. And whatever it is that has taken hold of her and that she won't let go of, who knows what what is motivating it? I think a lot of times it's fear right? Um, And they don't trust these big corporations and they don't trust whatever else, right? They think that they have their own research and and that they know best and and they don't trust scientists. Um, But I mean, you remember when Al Gore came out with his climate change documentary, the first one? uh, Yes. And he was like a laughingstock for Republicans, Still is, but it was really bad then. Yeah, it was really bad. And um, he was pretty much right. Inconvenient truth. He was pretty much right. That was the name of it. He was just right about... Pre- pretty much showed to be right. Yeah, what I was- mean, not not to the, the catastrophic kind of crazy shit. He was not wrong about it. He was just a little early, his prediction. Because we're starting to see the beginnings of that shit now. Yeah. And 
So for, for people who didn't believe it then, but who have come around, I just don't think if you're like, oh, you're dumb, that would have been the best way to get those people to come around or that it is the best way to get these people to come around. By him showing compassion to his mom and continuing to try and have a conversation with her, I think that that is more likely to be the thing that really gets to her and can shift her thinking and get her to vaccinate her other child who's not yet an adult who wants to get vaccinated. If this is the same family. <laughs> I keep assuming it is. There, no, I saw a picture. There's uh, okay. several kids. Oh, okay. Too well, many kids. Okay. It might not be the same family then because there was only one other child in this other family yeah, I'm thinking the, of. She's got several kids. So, Okay. Well, that, that's this is just more evidence of why you are the best part because I'm speaking... It, it pisses me off. She's putting her children in grave fucking danger. Not only her children, but her community. And anywhere they travel, those pe- people are being put in danger. And uh, you're ultimately, you're right. I'm not going to even push back because there's. I would look like an asshole because I would be fucking way wrong. It's for sure the better tack. But, you know, it doesn't feel as good to be super logical all the time. Yeah, well, as evidenced by the dummy who won't vaccinate her kids. Well, and I I understand that. I <laughs> I just I also want to push back because I feel like again, we're not going to like survive this election season if we don't calm it down, you know? <laughs> yes. In our approach to other human beings. So, I'm really just hoping that we survive this election season. <laughs> I think that's kind of where my head's at right now. <laughs> You're right. Again, again. You're right. (laughs) Mm. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Michael. Michael. Michael, thank you so much for your beautiful contribution on Patreon. We really appreciate it. We appreciate all of the contributions that people give. And we just want to say that we would not be here without you. So you definitely keep us going. You keep us motivated. You keep the lights on. And we're really thankful. If you do not have the funds to donate on Patreon, but you really want to support us, you can do that in other ways. If you're shopping on Amazon, you're buying yourself something on Amazon, use the dollar more link dollamore.com slash Amazon. It's no additional charge to you, but we get a little something on the back end, which is really nice. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. Very important. With a profanity-free review, please. It really helps people... Not please from us. Yes, from iTunes. Please from iTunes, because they won't publish your review if you say fuck shit, piss, cock balls, or whatever. It, in it. it puts the podcast into people's feeds so that they can more easily find it when we have a ton of reviews. So go ahead and do that. And <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about it. Yes. And if you want, if you'd like to, if you would like to, what's going on today? Oh, one more thing. Dollar.info. info. You can go buy a shirt or okay. a cup. Yes. Well, that's yes, of course. Or a tote. 
Mm-hmm. Also, I want to say they're there too. I want to say that I'm caught up on sending the stickers for the Patreon supporters, not the ones for March. So if you became a new Patreon supporter in March, I did not send that out because wait till the end of the month. That's what Patreon tells me to do. So um, everyone who became a Patreon supporter from the end of February back should have stickers. If you do not, send me a message with your address and I will send it to you because it probably got lost in the mail. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for all your support. End of mid-roll. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So this just in, you may have heard, Paul Manafort has been sentenced in his first trial. And uh, talk about a fucking slap on the wrist. Humiliated and shamed, the president's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, just sentenced to 47 months. That is one month shy of four years for running a global scheme to avoid paying millions in taxes, defrauding banks. Now, these are all charges that came from the Mueller team. Manafort spoke for about four minutes, telling the judge, I know it is my conduct that brought me here. My life personally and professionally is in shambles. Now, I just want to emphasize here, this is a remarkable moment in history, right? The campaign chairman of of a presidential campaign uh, sentenced to prison, going to handcuffs, 47 months. But I want to say this is a big blow for Mueller as well. Uh, They had asked for 19 to 25 years. The judge, T.S. Ellis, going against uh, that request uh, from prosecutors and and going for only 47 months. So that is a stunning development. Obviously, Manafort's going to be sentenced again in a week uh, in the D.C. court. Uh, but this is not what Team Mueller had been hoping for. Now, Manafort is the first person from Trump's inner circle to be sentenced. He was, of course, the first person who was uh, indicted uh, by Mueller. I want to go now to Shimon Prokupes out front uh, outside the Virginia courthouse. Shimon, this is not what Team Mueller wanted. They wanted up to 25 years, 47 months. That's what they got. Way lower than what really anyone expected, Erin, when you think about it, way lower than what the prosecutors, what the special counsel's office wanted here. They wanted up to 25 years. Instead, they get just under four years. We're talking about a 47-month prison sentence for Paul Manafort, which could reasonably mean that he will not have to spend the rest of his life in prison. Obviously, that was a big concern for him, for his family. As you said, he stood up. He sat, actually. He didn't stand up. He stayed in his wheelchair. He was brought here in a wheelchair. He spoke to the judge for about four minutes. He asked the judge for compassion. And it clearly seems that that is what the judge here did, sentencing him to 47 months well below what anyone had wanted from the special counsel's office, well below what prosecutors had asked for. And the judge is really uh, finding, it seems, compassion here, sensing him to the 47 months. All right, Shimon, thank you very much. And I just want to actually, Shimon, as a follow there, this is there, you've got this sentencing. Obviously, we're waiting for Manafort, uh, his team to leave. As you said, he's in a wheelchair, he is a cane. Uh, a, a remarkable uh, downturn in his physical appearance, right, from a man who had, you know, colored his hair and surprised his personal appearance with, uh, with his, with his mm. fancy clothes. Um, he's going to turn 70 next month. So this is an incredible leniency from this judge. But there is another judge right next week sentencing Manafort, uh, and that would, sentence would go on top of this one. 
it could go on top of it. It could run concurrent, which would mean that sh that Paul Manafort would serve it together with this. Uh, there, he's facing a substantial amount of prison time as well. But given the way the judge here treated him, the ju this could affect how the judge sees him in the Washington, D.C. case. Uh, he is facing about 10 years or so, 10 years or so in Washington, D.C. But it all depends on what the judge there finds. Certainly, this judge seeing some some room for leniency went ahead and gave him the 47 months the other thing to, to for folks to keep in mind is that in the dc case yeah. this is where he was going to cooperate this is where he pleaded guilty and then decided he was going to cooperate with prosecutors and then he started lying so that ended and it's not clear what effect that may have on the sentencing ultimately yeah. uh, but certainly the fact that he's only getting about four years here <laughs> I think it's going to play a role in what happens now in Washington, D.C. Paul Manafort, a.k.a. Junior Soprano. Yeah. In the wheelchair. And they're all like taking it like it's real. Mm -hmm. For anybody who's watched <laughs> The Sopranos, this is it's come on. Well, you heard Aaron Burnett there say she just chalked it up to he's no longer wearing fancy clothes. He got himself a wheelchair and he stopped dyeing his hair. Yeah. And he's, oh, he's just physically broken down. Yeah, all you got to do is stop dyeing your hair and it turns gray naturally. And then, oh, wow, he really looks bad. Wow, he's 70 years old. Wow. We didn't know that before. He had brown hair. He looks exactly like he would have hadn't he dyed his hair. <laughs> he's just sitting in a wheelchair now. And the fancy clothes are missing. 47 fucking months in prison for all that he did in this particular set of charges. Get the fuck out of here. This is the reason why people are angry about the criminal justice system in America. That Jesse Smollett is likely facing way more time for the bad shit that he did do. But because he's black and Paul Manafort's a rich fucking white guy who's connected to the president of the United States, 47 months when he was facing 25 years. Come on. We really can hope because next week he, he does face another trial, another sentencing hearing where his guilty pleas. And this is the case where he lied to uh, when he was a cooperating witness to Mueller, to the Mueller investigation, to the to the the federal grand jury there. Uh, that's the case in D.C. And it, it its judge is not quite the pushover that this one was, not quite the uh, sympathetic character to the wheelchair action apparently. So I wanted to, I was finding this, um, this article that I wanted to reference, Racial Disparity in Federal Criminal Sentences. It is from the University of Michigan Law School Scholarship Repository. It was a study done in 2014. They found that blacks receive sentences that are almost 10% longer than those of comparable whites arrested for the same crimes. Wow. Most of that disparity can be explained by prosecutors' initial charging decisions, particularly the filing of charges carrying mandatory minimum sentences. Yeah. And other, other things being equal, the odds of black arrestees facing such a charge are 1.75 times higher than those of white arrestees. I just... 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. So I think the important thing is that what, what you're highlighting is that if Paul Manafort were black, this would be a very different situation. Oh, yeah. And you also have to remember that black men um, constitute 6% of the adult population, but they're represent approximately 35% of the prison population. Yeah, I, listen, l- like drug courts, for instance, drug charges. Blacks and whites do drugs equally. The percentage of blacks who do drugs is the equal to the, the percentage of, of whites who do drugs. That's proven. That's just fucking fact. However, black people get prosecuted for drug crimes like 10 times more often than whites. So look, this might be like taking this one case out because it's political. It might not be totally fair because this is a special kind of a goofy case. But all this does is add one more data point to a long set of statistics proving the case that our criminal justice system is pretty fucked. Yeah, but also, what the hell, man? So you get to get a wheelchair, yeah. stop dyeing your uh, hair. I'm an old man now. Put on different clothing and then cry in front of the judge after you have spent your life just being a dick an to everybody. An fucker, right. And taking advantage of people. I mean... I've lost everything. Yeah. But my hair color... My ostrich skin jacket, y'all. Yeah, it's like that's well, that's what you get, bro, when yeah, you live a exactly. life of taking advantage of people. That's what you get. Did you hear that? That's what you get, bro. That's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, that Donald Trump agrees with you, Brittany. Yeah. I feel very badly for Paul Manafort. Well, maybe not. Uh, I think it's been a very, very tough time for him. But if you notice. Uh, both his lawyer, a highly respected man, and a very highly respected judge. The judge. So <laughs> I'm going to stop it there before I let him continue. He spent five seconds saying how badly he felt for Paul Manafort, r- roughly five seconds, before immediately shifting gear into the no collusion talk. Said there was no collusion with <laughs> Russia. It had nothing to do with collusion. There was no collusion. It's a collusion hoax. It's a collusion witch hoax. I don't collude with uh, Russia. The witch so hoax. I just want to tell you that his lawyer went out of his way, actually, to make a statement last night. No collusion with Russia. There was absolutely none. The judge, I mean, for whatever reason, I was very honored by it, also made the statement that this had nothing to do with collusion with Russia. So, you know, keep it going. Let's go. Keep the hoax going. Just the hoax. Senator Burr said there's no collusion. You look at Devin Nunes and the House Intelligence uh, Commission Committee. They said there's no collusion. And guess what? There is none. This is unbelievable. I mean, it's not unbelievable. It's completely predictable. But Manafort's lawyers got out there and they did. First of all, let's say this. The judge did not say no Russian collusion because this case had nothing to do with the question of Russian collusion. This case was about tax evasion and bank fraud. The judge wouldn't have said anything about collusion because it wasn't on the fucking table, dipshit. But secondly, Manafort's lawyers are clearly making a play to make Donald Trump feel, quote unquote, honored by it. 
that these highly respected lawyers are out there saying that there's no Russian collusion. Highly respected. I was very honored by that. They're making a, pay, a play for a fucking pardon here. On the world stage. Not even in secret. They're just out there. Dog whistling for a fucking pardon. No good. Yeah, but these are men who really understand the underdog. And <laughs> they really stand with people who yeah, come from do. nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Chill. Should really support them. We really should. <laughs> Does he have a GoFundMe yet? <laughs> so uh, the other thing I want to talk about is John Kelly. John Kelly just recently spoke out, and he's, I think, being way too warmly received about his criticisms of the presidency and the policies of this presidency, and also his the 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 somewhat positive things that he's had to say about immigrants. President's former chief of staff, John Kelly, also making headlines this morning, speaking out for the first time since leaving the White House about his time working in the Trump administration. Our senior White House correspondent, Cecilia Vega, has the details. Good morning, Cecilia. And there's some eye-opening hey. stuff here, Cecilia. Yeah, George, there really is some eye-opening stuff here. He was speaking to students at Duke University. There no, were no cameras allowed inside, but we have obtained the audio. And, and really one of the big headlines here is just what you said, that this is the first time he's talking publicly since leaving the White House. So what he's not talking about, though, that recent report that he was ordered by the president to approve uh, those high-level security clearances for Jared Kushner, and that was over the recommendation of intelligence officials. But he did have a lot more to say. He Take a listen to what Kelly said he would have done had Hillary Clinton won, and what his advice is for his successor, Mick Mulvaney, the new chief of staff. What advice did you give uh, your successor, uh, Mulvaney? Uh, run for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, just the best you can. I mean, as I've, as I've said repeatedly, you know, just tell him what he needs to hear. Uh, if I'd have gotten a call, if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency, and she had called me and said, you know, I really need uh, a good chief of staff here. Uh, I don't, I'd have probably done it. Um, politics aside, it's all about governing the country. So he said he would have taken the job if Hillary Clinton won, and he tells Mick Mulvaney, run for it. Uh, he says being chief of staff is the least enjoyable job he ever had, George. Remember, he's a retired four-star general, but he also says that this is the most important thing he's ever done. And he's not shy about taking on the president's border policies. Yeah, this is a big one here. He now says that he's against that controversial child separation policy that we saw roll out along the border. Uh, he placed the blame squarely on Jeff Sessions, saying Sessions, uh, the former attorney general, saying Sessions caught the administration flat-footed. But George John Kelly was uh, defended that policy publicly while he was here in the White House. Yeah, and he also spoke out against sending the military down to the border as well. Cecilia Vega, thanks very much. So the other thing he did say was that uh, immigrants are overwhelmingly not criminals. Yet he worked in service to a man who said it over and over and over and over. If you work in service to Donald Trump, you're not working in service to your nation. To, to try to put it on par with, oh, if Hillary Clinton would have called, and by the way, he didn't say, I would have done it. He said, I probably would have done it. Those are two separate things. Have I got my problems with Hillary Clinton? You're goddamn right I do. But do I compare her and her potential presidency with that of Donald Trump? No, because they're not the same thing. You don't serve at the, at the whims of Donald Trump and claim that you're serving your country. 
John Kelly dishonored his country each and every day he served Donald Trump and defended Donald Trump and lied for Donald Trump. So he can go the way of every other person who, who left, hopefully disgraced. And I don't know if this is like the very first step of some rehabilitation of his reputation tour, but I'm not buying it. And he will never, ever again be in the good graces uh, with me. The other thing, Deputy White House Chief of Staff related, is Bill Shine, the former president of Fox News, mm-hmm. is resigning from his position with the White House. But um, just getting in some breaking news now that Bill Shine, uh, the assistant to the president, the communications director there at the White House, Bill Shine has offered his resignation, uh, offered his resignation yesterday evening. Um, the president accepted that resignation. Hans Nichols is standing by for us there at the White House. Yeah. Uh, Hans, Bill Shine, how, was he there like, what, five months, six months? Well, he's there. He was there longer than that. We'll get the precise date for you. He is resigning his position, Craig. Remember, he was both deputy chief of staff and White House communications director, and he's going to be a senior advisor to the Trump campaign. Now, in this statement that's coming from the White House, they're thanking Bill Shine for his service, so that may be an indication this has been amicable. He is going to the campaign, so he will continue to be involved in the messaging of President Donald Trump. I think this says something very important to us, though, and that is that the energy in this White House is shifting towards the 2020 re-election campaign. When you have trusted advisors like Bill Shine leaving the West Wing to go to do the president's re-election campaign to serve as a senior advisor, that's an indication that the 2020 campaign is up and running and that the White House is already figuring out, thinking about how they're going to frame the issues moving forward. This campaign has just really started much, much earlier than previous ones. Craig? Han, so Shine out as communications director. Any right. indication uh, who might fill that spot, who might be a likely candidate? No, and remember that they've had trouble filling this spot in the past. It was Michael Dubke, who was the first communications director. Then I believe Sean Spicer might have done double duty. Anthony Scaramucci. I think if you and I just go off the top of our head, we can get to five or six. I don't know if he was the fifth or the sixth communications director, but... You know, in the past, the way White Houses have worked is that you have a press secretary that goes out and briefs reporters. And then you have a communications director that's thinking more about longer term strategy, about how to frame and sell the president's message. With this White House, we really have the president who almost seems to do more briefings than the press secretary. The press secretary rarely comes out to the podium. Sometimes she'll do interviews in Fox News and we're able to talk to her when she comes, uh, goes back into the West Wing. And then you have this communications director that really should be in a traditional White House would be thinking about how to frame longer term strategic initiatives. Now, Bill Shine was very involved in the stagecraft of the White House and the pageantry of having backdrops for the president where he should be. So this is a this is a transition. Uh, he looks like he's leaving the White House and heading over to the campaign. We don't know the exact role he has in the campaign. This is. This is just more evidence of just the chicanery and complete disrespect for the way things go. Bill Shine, the former president of Fox News, left Fox, came to the White House. Hope Hicks went the other way, left the White House, went to Fox News. Thick as thieves, 
all of these assholes between Fox News and the White House. Well, also, Donald Trump's White House has had un- unprecedented levels of turnover. Yeah. And this position in particular has been very difficult to maintain. Jason Miller started out there. And then Sean Spicer was there. And then Anthony Scaramucci was there. Yeah, there was another guy before them, too. Uh, Michael Dubke. Dubke. He was there before that. Yeah. And Hope Hicks, like you mentioned. Yeah. So... Again, he can't keep people in there. And apparently, I mean, a lot of this is being chalked up to the fact that he like misses his family or whatever. Anyway. And he feels like he wants to be at home with them. But that's, what the, that's a very that's a the pat go to excuse when you leave. But part of it is also that a, apparently Donald Trump wasn't getting from him what he thought he was going to get from him, given that he came from Fox News, that Donald Trump actually became upset when the, his news coverage didn't improve after Bill Shine was brought on. Huh. So Donald Trump thinking that he brings on <laughs> some guy that will solve all of his problems, that's probably not going to happen. Well, Donald Trump always wants the fix to be in. Ah, we fixed it. It's the f- And I don't mean fixes in repair. I mean, the fix is in. Mm-hmm. That horse race is fixed. Mm-hmm. That's what Donald Trump's looking for always. Yeah. The other thing about this, and this was in that New Yorker article that we really never... article, The New Yorker article that we didn't talk about. And that is that uh, Bill Shine is still being paid by Fox News. A settlement or a severance. Millions of dollars last year and this year he's being paid. Mm-hmm. That has to be bring up some kind of an ethical quandary that the White House Deputy Chief of Staff and Communications Director who deals with giant media conglomerates rel- relative to the press is being paid millions of dollars by Fox News. I understand that he left and it's a severance and that's that's pretty standard. But there are ethical um, limitations to what we can endure as a people. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's out of control. Mm-hmm. Out of control. And now he's moving to the campaign. So he's still going to have direct contact with the president to uh, advise him and whatever. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. There's just no separation. Yeah. Between Fox News and the White House and the campaign. It's all one operation, as far as I'm concerned. Big ethical concern for the Trump White House. Uh, they're really concerned yeah. about it all. They're concerned. No, they're not concerned. <laughs> I'm concerned about it. Oh, I see. I see. God damn. So anyway, I would love to know what everybody thinks about this. 657464. 7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Jack Robeson. Jack Robeson. Who 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 pray tell is Jack Robeson? He is a district judge in Comal County, Texas. I think you mean his honor, Jack Robeson. No. <laughs> uh, just north of San Antonio. And he <laughs> received a public warning from the Texas Judicial Commission because he told a jury 
that God wanted to acquit a woman who was on trial for charges related to sex trafficking. This just in from the judge. She's not a Christian! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, The jury found her guilty instead and sentenced her to 25 years in prison. But Jack Robeson, I think that's how you say his name. Yeah. He asked the jury to reverse its guilty verdict, but they declined. They said, no, thanks, sir. We'll stick with what we did. Uh, Have we said what the charge was, by the way? Sex trafficking. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So not not, uh, shoplifting and, oh, Jesus told me she was... uh, innocent it was sex trafficking and selling a child also what he did was he went out while the jury was deliberating and he prayed and he came in and he said he had prayed about the case and he informed the jurors that god told him that the defendant was innocent you know it's a really good tool to have fucking bananas is being able to have access to god like that when you need to really make some decisions about some people i would love to so how did it happen again let's let's do the jesse dollimore and get down on the ground Judge Robeson, how did you hear the voice of the creator of the universe? How did that happen? Was it audible? Was 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 he sitting across the uh, the room with a with a glass of scotch, Nick Offerman style, talking to you, or was it like a little glimmer of a voice in the back of your head? Seems like a problem. So he said that, well, apparently he self-reported his actions after there were 18 complaints about his conduct. And he wrote that he was suffering from memory lapses and he couldn't really explain why he had broken protocol. But he did say that he had been under extreme stress due to ongoing medical treatment and that a close friend had recently died. And so he was going through a lot of stress and he testified before the commission and they released their warning to him. And he, he was evaluated and he's not currently suffering from a mental illness so the doctors have determined that his actions were driven by delirium um, a temporary episodic medical condition and he apparently his fitness for duty is not impaired wow maybe he's just watching too much uh pat robertson weird way of doing sex so he has not been suspended apparently he will not be suspended he was just uh, issued a warning So this is really disturbing behavior because imagine the authority that a judge has. I mean, you have to stand up when you when they walk in the room, you have to dress a certain way in the courtroom. We we hold judges to a very high standard. They make a lot of money. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, they're well educated. They have to have a lot of experience with the law. You're required to treat them with respect. Yes. And they can really ruin your life. And so for him to come out and say that that God sent him a message about this this person is really disturbing. This convicted child trafficker, mm-hmm. sex trafficker. Mm-hmm. Come on. I mean, come on. We have the separation of church in this in this country for a reason. This being the reason Justice should be dispassionate, not nutter-butter religious uh, fanaticism driven. Come on, man. (laughs) Oh, Texas. Oh, Texas. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that, good people, we are going to leave you. We appreciate you. We will see you again next week, of course, with three fantastic episodes 
filled with news and ridiculous comment from the lovely Brittany Page. Well, the ridiculous comment will likely come from me, and, but you also get a little bit of me. Yeah. All right. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We'd love to hear from you. Help us move the conversation forward. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next week. Until then, be genuine. We love you. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt. We don't know what percentage of our Patreon supporters are married to their first cousins, so...